are going to start the session today with a conversation with Suman Talukdar, founder and managing partner of AISprouts.vc. Suman, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, Sarmana. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Doing okay. <laughs> all right. Let's get you introduced to our audience. Tell us a little bit about your background as well as about AI Sprouts. Yeah, perfect. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a single GP, uh, founder and managing partner at AI Sprouts. We are a $10 million pre-seed fund that's focused on machine learning ventures, uh, specifically those coming out of uh, Silicon Valley. We basically look for great founders that have, you know, amazing ideas uh, with strong uh, product traction. And our mission is basically to back the next generation of uh, breakthrough companies that we think are going to have a huge impact uh, in the world around us. Um, the models basically, you know, we participate in rounds with other venture funds um, in the area, and we're typically writing checks in the range of like a hundred to, you know, about half a million dollars. So um, yeah, so my story in terms of, you know, how I got here, I say a lot of people don't know this about me, but I'm a Latin American by birth, so I was uh, born in uh, Venezuela. Uh, but Indian by descent, my uh, parents are actually from uh, east uh, eastern part of India near Assam and uh, Meghalaya. My parents went to school in Calcutta. But then now I'm uh, American uh, by citizenship, so I've been here uh, since I was a teenager. And, um, yeah, you know, my, my story is basically, you know, my, my father moved to the U.S., uh, you know, in the, in the late 70s. He was a Fulbright. And then he moved to uh, Venezuela to be a professor. This was, uh, you know, in the late 70s, Venezuela was kind of uh, this utopia in Latin America. It was just getting started. So I grew up there and, um, you know, moved to the States when I was a teenager. So I always have had uh, kind of a multicultural uh, exposure. And uh, out of all places, yeah, and out of all places, uh, I moved to uh, Houston, Texas. Um, so, uh, you know, interesting place to, to move in the U.S., and it was actually a wonderful place to grow up. Um, I went to high school, college there, uh, did, did very well in high school, and I like to, you know, mention that because uh, especially in this kind of very politically and racially charged uh, U.S. environment that we live in, you know, I moved as, as an immigrant to uh, a new community and, you know, was able to thrive, was very welcome there. So. Yeah, you know, I graduated first in my class out of undergrad and, uh, you know, uh, moved to Rice University, uh, got my computer engineering degree there. And basically, you know, that's around the time, late 90s, you probably remember the Internet was just kind of happening. You'd have yeah. to, you know, there weren't shows like these around, but uh, you'd, ha you'd pick up all your news and uh, things like Wired Magazine. So I was, I was reading a lot of Wired Magazine and, and decided what I wanted to do was uh, – Moved to Silicon Valley and see, you know, what this whole place was all about. So I, um, yeah, so that's basically what brought me here. So now I've been here, uh, you know, 20 years, and uh, had have had, you know, amazing number of experiences, and have been fortunate to meet, you know, tons of amazing people, and that's what. Uh, what is your professional background uh, in in Silicon Valley? What uh, what track did you follow? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I, when I got out here, basically I was an engineer, just like a, a lot of folks. And uh, one of my boss, first bosses out of undergrad, 
um, was the first one of the first uh, founders of Siri later on. So I did a bunch of uh, AI stuff there. So mm -hmm. I was basically engineer product manager for a while, then left the Valley for a couple of years to get my MBA at Harvard, came back in the uh, basically late uh, 2000, so like 2009, 2010, and basically became the first uh, kind of like business hire for any venture-backed company. So for the last, uh, you know, 10 years, I took on that role. I had uh, five back-to-back -back exits, um, which was kind of, uh, if you statistically think about it, a little bit crazy, but it kind of worked out for me. And two of those companies went public. Um, one was a $400 million sale to Symantec. And all those roles, I literally did everything from, you know, helping founders get their first customers, helping with partnerships, defining the strategy, just anything that a kind of well-rounded executive would do. And, um, and basically learned a lot about, you know, what makes uh, companies like really, really successful. Not, not just, you know, what makes an idea work, but what are the characteristics, what are the traits that helps you create these like breakout companies? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, when I, when I was in a stage in my life where I was like, Hey, I, I think I have the means and, uh, and the interest in the network started to get involved with, you know, my friend's companies, either in some sort of advisory capacity board roles and start to make small kind of angel investments. And that's what led me to kind of where I am today. So, some of those things ended up working out. You know, people got to know me in my network. And then basically late last year, I, um, you know, had the opportunity to basically, you know, pull some people together and, and formalize uh, a fund. And so this is pre-COVID. Obviously, you know, all these things are uh, unplanned. But uh, I launched uh, AI Express late last year with some capital. So, you know, the the... The positive from that is that through this environment, I was actually, I was actually in a position to invest. Um, so that's that's a little bit of my background. Great, very interesting, very multicultural. I love this kind of uh, you know multicultural perspective. We are, as you know, we're a global accelerator, so we work with entrepreneurs all around the world. Now, um, talk a little bit about. When you started off talking about AI Sprouts, you said you want some product validation. So um, talk to us about what you mean by that. And, and in that context, uh, you also said that you have developed some thesis around what makes a breakout company. Uh, let's brainstorm a little bit about what that thesis is and how do you see the beginnings of that in an early validation process. Yes, sounds good. I'm going to try to get all of that. Um, so, yeah, in terms of kind of the, the product traction, I mean, I think every investor, every operator has their own lens of what they think is going to work, right? Or for me, I found uh, product traction to be like the key element. So like all the companies that have done well had that as like a, a characteristic um, you know, early in the days, right around the time when the investors come in, thought this thing was really working, right? So, to me, that's, that's you know, our philosophy, by the way. What's that? That's our philosophy too. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, uh, love to hear what you think of the topic as well. But, um, yeah. So basically, you know, early revenues is is one signal of that. Uh, but sometimes revenue follows like great usage. 
So um, what I look for is really, you know, products that the customers, you know, it's really simple. Like you call them and they're like, oh my gosh, I love the product. <laughs> it, it does what they tell me, uh, you know, it, it'll do, uh, you know, it solves a big problem. And there's usually some clear metrics around that. And, uh, and obviously as a second sort of step to that, uh, there's revenues tied to it. So it's, it's pretty simple. To me, that's the, the, the sort of the starting point of any discussion. It's, uh, and, hey, uh, so you are willing to write checks without revenue, but you want to be able to talk to customers and, and have customers rave about the product and, and their, the value they're getting from it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of people say, look, revenue is kind of like the sort of the key point where you know there's product market fit. I, I mostly agree to that. Sometimes it, it can hide a lot of things in the product. But, like, great usage and an understanding of, like, the exact use case of how the product is kind of fitting the need is, like, a really good way to know whether this thing is working. And it can be, like, at the cusp of you sort of seeing the kind of the revenue from the first customers or even, like, getting to repeatable revenue at a, at a yeah. you know, relatively short amount of time. Great. Now, um, talk about uh, sectors. What sectors do you want to apply your AI prowess to? And, and uh, is it B2B, B2C, both, enterprise, small business? What's, what's your sweet spot? Yeah, you know, I, I really think, uh, you know, I've been doing AI for, looking at it for a long time, and we're kind of like in this big bang period for what I call, you know, practical AI. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and you know, it's literally, you know, you're saying you're going after trillion dollars. I mean, just this space is going to have that type of an impact. And just like, you know, people were saying, hey, SaaS is, uh, SaaS is eating the world. Uh, my perspective now is AI is going to gradually be eating SaaS. And um, so from that perspective, you know, I'm very open, open to, you know, anything. My background's obviously in B2B. Um, so I have a little bit of a preference or a better understanding of companies that have a yeah B2B enterprise SaaS model. But mm -hmm. I'm open to obviously user-based products, you know, maybe even like consumer. I'm pretty agnostic. Um, I think the space is wide open. And so you're going to see a lot of experimentation from entrepreneurs, you know, developing interesting new products. And so if I have this like product traction-based lens, I think the best thing I can do is be pretty, pretty agnostic and be open to what I'm seeing. And what about geography? Are you only interested in Silicon Valley companies or broader? Yeah, no, I mean, basically, you know, the goal of the fund and just in general, my goal is, as an investor is to basically back and invest in, like, let's say the best 100 AI companies that are going to be sort of coming out or have a strong presence in Silicon Valley. So mm -hmm. the first the first step in that with this first fund is uh, to focus on companies that are here, right? It's a single GP. I can't spread myself too thin. You see, I'm leveraging my network here to find these opportunities, and um, so that's the step. But over time, what I can really see happening is it'll naturally expand to companies where Silicon Valley is, um, you know, a strong strategic presence for them. Right, I mean, companies are starting out everywhere. Uh, they're everywhere. going everywhere. Exactly. So I don't think, uh, you know, being limited is necessarily the thing you want to do in the long run, especially with something like AI. But what I've learned from living, you know, in the area for so many years is there's this culture here that obviously is spreading, 
And uh, but there's you know it's achieved critical mass here for a very long time, and yeah. so I think that companies that sort of are have a presence here or have some strong kind of on the ground connection really benefit from that, and that leads to in some ways really these outsized outcomes that you know before were really rare, right? And here seem to be very common. Yeah. So. Um Let's dig down into AI and your uh, thesis around AI a little bit. We uh, we do a series, I don't know if you read it, called Thought Leaders in Artificial Intelligence, which is a very popular series, and we've been doing it for a long time. And we, we bring on entrepreneurs as well as people in large companies to talk about their yeah. what they are doing, what they're seeing, and so forth. So we have a pretty comprehensive thesis on AI. So here are some of the nuggets of what I have observed. And I want to kind of hear what you have to say on these conclusions that I have arrived at. So if you were trying to do a, an AI platform company, it helps if you have done this before. If this is your first time out, there is, it is harder to get investors to work with uh. you on a platform company thesis. And so in that case, I think a, a more a vertical AI, of a, an application, domain knowledge, a niche, that kind of investment thesis works better. Um, on the other hand, the breakout companies, I am a huge fan of platform as a service, and I see the next in the next 10 years, 20 years, I think the companies that are going to do successful platform as a service, not just... SaaS, but SaaS and SaaS. I mean, they may come into market as a SaaS, one application like CRM for Salesforce, but eventually it's the platform that, that gets a much broader adoption with an independent software vendor network that's built on top of that platform. That model, I think, is going to build the biggest companies. The decacorns are going to come out of that model, is my thesis. Um, but, you know, it's also AI has always this question mark around, does it work? And investors have to somehow figure out, does it work? And in your case, you're saying that you want the product working and in the hands of customers and customers using it and getting value out of it. That is not a short time from inception, right? You have to – and AI engineers are expensive and so forth, so it's that, that early stage of, of – Business building in AI is difficult. If you've done it before, if you have capital of your own, or if you have credibility that you can go and tell an investor that I've done this before, this is what I'm going to do next. People will sign checks. These are, you know, these are my observations. I'd love to hear what your, uh, you know, synthesis of the space is. Yeah, I, I generally agree. I think in, uh, you know, as, as you know, right? I think entrepreneurship, a lot of it has to do with recognizing when uh, there's exceptions that you should pay attention to, though, right? So I think a lot of it depends on, you know, the, the individual entrepreneurs and their background. But, yeah, I mean, I think platforms versus applications, and then I would say there's kind of like a third, there's like enablers. So, like, platforms, definitely, I think, obviously, there's a, there's a bias towards folks that can compete at scale, um, yeah. you know, yeah. they're, they're usually products that aren't necessarily vertically focused. So, you know, you're trying to like, it takes more money to sell 
takes and because it takes more money to sell, you're basically having to uh, uh, raise more capital <laughs> in the long run, and so that definitely uh, biases investments towards people that have done it before. And you know, there's only you know every every so often there's like really successful platform companies. So I would agree with you. Um, I think that's helpful. I think there is kind of a category though of like enablers in AI. So these would be sort of companies that are developing unique products and maybe services that are sitting on top of the platforms that aren't necessarily applications, but they are helping people develop the applications faster. Um, so an example of that uh, is a you know company called uh, you know Labelbox. Uh, they recently they've been really good at raising money. It's a young entrepreneur. And uh, Manu Sharma, he was the founder and, you know, first company out, uh, out of Stanford. And, you know, he basically focused on tagging and then, like, what people do after they tag and then how you process that data. And I made an, an investment uh, in that space as well. But those companies are literally making the process of using things like Amazon and Google and, you know, developing apps on top of NVIDIA, like, easier, Right. And so I think that's an example of one where you don't necessarily have to have like this crazy big ambition or capital requirement like you do if you were trying to do, you know, a, a, yeah, a yeah. platform. But then, and then the third, I would definitely say it's the vertical applications. Um, yeah. Those are, I think, where, you know, it's like the bread and butter today of, if you want to call it practical or narrow AI, um, yeah. made a yeah. couple of investments in that space. Literally, people can take advantage of the fact that there's tons of data. It's readily available. People can aggregate it and store it, not in a much, yeah. not only in a much cheaper way, but in a way that uh, we're using tools that were not available before, so much more easily. So it doesn't say take take a lot of developer time. And then with uh, compute, you know, NVIDIA GPU compute improving like thirty thousand times over uh, the last five years, it actually you know the amount to train come some basic data sets using standard algorithms has come down quite a bit. So what used to take you three days can now take you, you know, 60 seconds. And so that allows uh, entrepreneurs, you know, teams of two, three, four people, uh, never ever buying a server, doing everything on Amazon to build these really focused applications on specific domains, whether it's, you know, finance. Well, the unfair advantage is the domain knowledge, really. Yeah, 100%. So they, they can tie the domain knowledge with the data, with the use case, with, you know, answering the question that people want to get answered. And uh, and with all the, with the application stuff I'm seeing, it's all about kind of like optimizing for a very specific use case. And that's yeah. that's where I think there's a ton of opportunity, right? There's so many use cases. That is going to be the big, you know, what, you know, from our point of view, we want millions of entrepreneurs to be successful. And I think in that uh, verticalized domain-specific AI, we will see very large numbers of entrepreneurs because people have niche expertise in different areas and, and applying AI to those areas with that domain knowledge is, is very, very interesting. And I think where where I think the the trick is going to be is this really good platform companies to enable that kind of entrepreneurship in a big way. So I think BAS is going to be the determining infrastructure that we will need at scale to enable this kind of entrepreneurship broadly. 100%, yep. So, um, so when 
slightly different question. You have a relatively small fund, at least now. Maybe later you're going to do something different, but for the moment you have a small fund. What is your thought about um, chasing unicorns versus chasing the, you know, 2x, 3x, 5x? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm relatively new to this, but I've kind of been on the other, on the investing side. But on the other side, I've had obviously experience working with venture-backed companies. Yeah. And, you know, sort of uh, common knowledge or kind of like best practices, it seems like all the work, effort, sweat pays off when things work, right? When, uh, <laughs> and, and when they work, they tend to work like amazingly well. And the numbers are like crazy, right? So, you know, less than 4% of all venture capital deals like basically give you more than 10x, right? But when those things happen, the returns more than make up for all the investment that's happened in the industry, right? So, so I think, um, you know, to, to be effective in this uh, area, you have to have the lens of you are looking for those companies that are going to have the outsized outcome, even if the probability of getting that is pretty low, right? But that said, I think if your fund strategy is amicable to, um, you know, being open to having exits that are less ambitious, I think the better it is for the entrepreneur. Um, I think what I've seen, you know, a lot of times funds really push companies to go beyond where they necessarily have to because of certain, you know, drivers yeah. as it relates to fund size, what they want to do with their capital. And some of the outcomes for the entrepreneurs aren't necessarily aligned with what they thought was best for the business. Um, you know, a larger fund may actually prefer that a company goes to zero rather than have a small exit just because they really want to push that, you know, multi-billion dollar outcome. So for me, you know, I am basically trying to get into the, you know, the next unicorns. I mean, that's what would, you know, one basically more than enough pace for the fund. But I am sort of, you know, a hundred million dollar exit for my fund still will be acceptable for me. I'll, I'll be able to make a good return. So I'm open to that. And I think that, positions me in a unique way with founders because I can be super founder friendly. I can be like almost like a co-founder capital for them. And, um, and with the industry, I think it also puts me in a friendly position because, you know, I'm only playing in the early rounds. So if uh, my ability to attract capital from, you know, the brands like Sequoia, et cetera, in the later stages is only going to increase the likelihood of success for me, that it's going to be a, a big, big exit. So so, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the strategy I've taken. I think uh, other people can, can – there are certainly other models, and I've seen them, but I'm sort of biased you know, towards – yeah. If I synthesize what we are seeing, you know, we have – every week we have an investor talking about their investment thesis here, and this has been going on for a long time. So we have hundreds of investors and their investment thesis that have come together in, on this platform. And if I synthesize what I see – there is one category of investors who are clearly chasing unicorns, and they, want to, they don't want to hear anything else. They just want to chase unicorns. Um, and they're fine with being uh, feeders into the sequoias and the larger uh, venture capital funds, and, and that's, they will play the all-or-nothing game. And then there is a – this is a relatively later development just because there are – you know, there are 1,000-plus micro-VCs out there. You're a micro-VC, right? There are 1,000-plus micro-VCs out there right now. A lot of entrepreneurs have made good money in the 
technology business, technology industry, and many of them have started micro VCs. They have good expertise, good hands-on expertise. So, so this is smart money. From an entrepreneur's point of view, this is very attractive capital. And there is a recognition of the fact that most exits, strategic exits, actually happen in the sub-50 million range, and definitely in the sub-100 million range. And to play in that exit potential, you have to keep your capital spend efficient. So if you do capital efficient businesses and get to enough validation and enough credibility, and, and there is even a $200, $300 million TAM, you could find these strategic exits, and that's actually a very nice opportunity for small funds. That's one conclusion that I'm seeing driving a lot of funds investment pieces. And the second one is some of these smaller funds are also exiting in Series A or Series B when the larger amounts of money start coming in because it may have already taken you five years in a capital efficient mode to get to the inflection point and then when the inflection point comes, large money starts to come in. That may even make sense for you to exit, even at a 5x valuation or something like that. So, so this is kind of the synthesis of the space. So for the entrepreneurs who are listening, the thing that you have to determine, and I've been harping on this constantly these days because we see the problem everywhere, you cannot fit a square peg in a round hole. You have, just like you're looking for product market fit, you're going to have to find investor entrepreneur fit. An investor who's looking for one type of exit, one type of investment opportunity is not going to invest in the other style. So, you know, you're just going to basically bang against the wall if you go after investors who are not interested in your style of investment opportunity. Keep that in mind. I recommend that you guys who are entrepreneurs who are starting to look for funding or trying, starting to think about funding, spend lots of time in our financing module of the curriculum if you're a premium member or a basic member, or go to the blog and just go spend time in the Seed Capital series and get in the heads of, uh, of investors. You need to understand whom you should go after. If you can, you know, if you can spend enough time in our you know, body of work around investors and give me a short list of, okay, Shromana, here are the 15 investors that we think are going to be a good fit for you, and I will help you in that process. It takes me five minutes to introduce you to five, 15 investors, if it's the right investors. But I'm not going to blow my credibility by invest, introducing you to 15 investors who are not relevant for you. So. That's kind of like the reason I, I'm harping so much on investor entrepreneur fit these days is because I see lots of entrepreneurs wasting lots of runway by doing it the wrong way. This is a complex game. You really need to understand how it works before you play it. All right? Come on. Um, before we conclude your segment, a quick case study. One, one company that you've invested in that you're bullish about, take us through the process of how they came to you, when they came to you, what did they have, what did you see in them that made you write the check? Got it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll give you two rapid fires. So first one is a company called uh, Hayden AI. Uh, I can't disclose the exact amount yet because it hasn't been published, but 
basically I met them through, you know, the circuits here in Silicon Valley, you know, incubators, accelerators, got to know the entrepreneur. And uh, as I was getting to know them, one of the investors I knew at another fund, uh, well, um, a fund called Autotech, they said that, hey, you know, we like this company. And so, you know, basically soft circle some interest with a number of investors. So that was kind of like the trigger for me, some sort of like a social peer validation in yeah, addition yeah. to like an inside, a good meeting with the founder. And then as I got deeper into the, the technology, you know, something that's very unique, it's AI for public safety. There's not a lot of companies doing that. Products like 10x cheaper than anything else. And they potentially uh, produce a billion dollars of revenue to cities uh, from mm-hmm. installations in the hundreds. So there's a scale in the upside that was really unique. And um, that was, you know, that was the trigger basically that, you know, the, they had pilots uh, within a few months, they could get to a lot of revenue, making them really capital efficient and uh, became interesting. The second company is a company called Boost Up AI. They raised uh, approximately four and a half from uh, Canaan and a few other investors. Founders were out of IIT, uh, you know, had about a couple hundred thousand in revenue when I met them, had raised very little money and uh, we're doing really well with a product that made kind of sales uh, smarter, right? So by telling people what opportunities are gonna close. And uh, same thing, you know, it was a bit of, you know, soft circling interest from other investors, having a good perspective on the space. It's a big market forecasting is being used by everyone. And um, the traction by customers is very impressive. They're able to do something at, with the 10th less capital than companies that were founded, you know, eight years ago trying to do the same thing. And oh. uh, and so that was kind of the story behind that. So everything had great teams, strong traction, and, you know, it's kind of like a big market, big vision that they were going after. All right. Terrific. Well, um, wonderful conversation, Suman. We, I hear that you're going to stay for the pitches, yes? Yeah, for sure. That's okay. I was just going to listen in. <laughs> <laughs>